The reading is from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45, and it is on page 873 of your Bible. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring me merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, and everyone will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked, up, looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, in his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to him, said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Last week I talked about the many metaphors that the Bible uses for God. Father, mother, eagle, midwife. This week, I'm wondering what your ideas are about Jesus in particular. What pictures of Jesus live in your head? What feelings about Jesus abide in your heart? I started this Lenten season talking about unanswerable questions and how important it is for Christians to wrestle with questions whose answers we cannot know how crucial it is to remain engaged. And I know for many of us, 21st century humans as we are, the idea of Jesus, this ancient Palestinian Jewish man and son of God, died, rose, and ascended for you personally and for the world altogether. It can be hard for many of us to really keep wrestling with that, as that is a lot, faith with God can somehow feel more reasonable, more believable. I've had many conversations over the years where the idea of Jesus in particular can feel more difficult to engage with. I think John, the gospel writer, knows that the word become flesh is the greatest news ever, that God would choose to become human displays how deeply God cares for us. That is the good news. But I think John also knows 
the more we humans think about that, the more we might stumble over that. Like, really? I think John was wise to tell stories that didn't just share what Jesus did or what Jesus said, but also how Jesus felt and how people felt about Jesus. Because in the end, that's what relationships are about. Relationships aren't just about transactions. I behave this way, and so you, God, reward me. Or you teach God, and I obey. In Jesus, God shows that God wants to relate with us, like with feelings, with tenderness, and a listening ear, and compassion, and as a friend even. And that may feel hard to believe, but it's worth wrestling with. So I'll ask it again. What pictures of Jesus live in your head? Or what feelings about Jesus abide in your heart? One of the first literal pictures for me, because my grandparents had one in their house, was Selman's Head of Christ, it's called. You've likely seen this, it's like a portrait before. It's basically a white Jesus portrait of a European-looking man, emotionless, eyes lifted slightly upward. I've always thought of it as Jesus' senior portrait, like he just graduated from a from Jesus school or whatever. Another literal picture I have in mind is Jesus laughing, it's called. His head is tipped back. His eyes are closed. His mouth is wide open. Big smile. Of course, we here at First Lutheran face a giant image of Jesus every week. Jesus as good shepherd. We sing about Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. We talk about Jesus as sitting at the right hand of God, which evokes a throne in my head, like as though Jesus just sits for eternity on a big fancy chair ready to judge. When I ask what pictures of Jesus live in your head or, or abide in your heart, there's lots of possible answers, right? Jesus walking on water, waves all around, reaching toward a sinking Peter who had just tried to get out there himself, meet Jesus, but fails. I like that story. I like the idea that Jesus pulls me up from my sinkings. Or there's a picture, an image of Jesus chatting with the woman at the well. That's a good one. We get lots of stories that tell us about things Jesus did or words Jesus said. Sometimes we even get told why and what it all means. But this 11th chapter of John moves beyond the doings, moves beyond the sayings. Here, our idea of Jesus can develop a dimension of feelings, like emotions. John makes it clear that Jesus is not robotically dutiful and obedient. And Jesus does not just keep to himself safely distant in proximity or emotionally distant from lesser humans. Here, Jesus is greatly moved in spirit, we're told, for a friend whom Jesus loves. Jesus weeps. So just in case the picture of Jesus in your head and in your heart is something like Yoda, you know, a wise, crafty spiritualist who lives on his own little planet, accessible to nearly no one. The Gospel of John shows Jesus at a wedding in Cana with his mom. 
in Jerusalem when it's super crowded during the biggest festival of the year, Passover. Jesus travels with a bunch of disciples. He chats with people when he's at the well. He puts himself in front of thousands to teach. Jesus is not some quiet, reclusive hermit tucked away in the hills north of Jerusalem who only comes out to say profound things from time to time and then retreat back to where he came from. Jesus is in it. Jesus is living with people, lots of people, all the time, with feeling. One of the pictures that John's gospel will share in chapter 13 just a couple chapters from the one we just heard read for today, is going to be Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And after doing that, he returns to the table and explains why he has just washed their feet. And the image to accompany this moment is this. One of his disciples, the one whom he loved, was reclining next to him. Our Lutheran Study Bible has a little note on the side. It says, this is the first time that the gospel mentions this unnamed disciple. While some suggest that the beloved disciple is the author of this gospel, John, the more important literary function of this character seems to be to describe what discipleship looks like. What does discipleship, following Jesus, what does that look like? Does it look like taking notes in a Jesus classroom and then getting every moral code right? What would Jesus do? Are we supposed to find out and then just do that? And that is discipleship? Is that the image of Jesus in your head? I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong to think of Jesus as teacher. He definitely teaches. I am suggesting for John that picture of Jesus as teacher, if that's all the picture is, it's incomplete. For John, discipleship following Jesus does not always and only look like robotically offering obedience. It also includes reclining at the table with Jesus, sharing in food and fellowship, just being with him. John paints an intimate picture, showing a closeness, and we are there. Do you embrace the intimacy of discipleship? Or do you keep Jesus at a distance, unable to overcome the unreasonableness of a dead, risen, ascended Son of God? In many of our imaginations, Jesus stands in a similar place as any other historical figure, like Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr. or something. Or maybe maybe some of us put Jesus in a category of like mythical figures, like King Arthur or St. Nicholas. So if you're John writing a gospel, how do you put flesh and bones, how do you put feelings into this character who is the Word made flesh, the one God becomes to enter into a real bona fide relationship with you? John's 11th chapter tells a story that goes a long way as we wrestle with this question of what feelings of Jesus abide in our hearts. It shows a caring, compassionate, deeply moved Jesus who cannot be followed without feeling. I know it was a long reading, but did you notice the part when Martha goes out to meet Jesus and she says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died? 
she gets to be sad, mad, frustrated. She gives that to Jesus, and Jesus receives that. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. In other words, I know someday, Jesus, someday. Reverend Dr. Caroline Lewis, whom I mentioned last week too, her insights into John are extremely helpful. And she, she says, Martha only hears the promise of future resurrection. Jesus seems to correct this misunderstanding. I know he will rise again on the last day. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And Lewis asks, what's the difference, do you think? What do you think? Is there a difference between the resurrection and the life? Is Jesus just being redundant? Are resurrection and life the same thing? What if resurrection happens later on the last day, as Martha said, but what if Jesus is making the point that the life is about now? Like, yeah, I am the resurrection. Don't you worry about that someday and know that I am the life now. The modern church and many of us do the same thing that Martha did. We confess we believe in the promise of some future resurrection. We believe that after we're dead, somehow we won't stay dead. And we pour all our hope into that someday. But Jesus wants to claim not just power someday over our future deaths, but Jesus wants to claim an intimacy within our now, our lives. Have you ever noticed the Gospel of John does not go into any detail about what Lazarus had been experiencing in those, in those four days of death? Don't you want to know? Like, <laughs> where was he? What was happening there? And Jesus doesn't raise Lazarus in order to set Lazarus up for some, like, future glory or some high office or something. Jesus, or John, wastes no time telling any of that stuff. He could have. Of all the things we might want to know about this sign, where were you, Lazarus? Did it hurt? Are you upset you didn't get to stay wherever you were? How did it feel to be raised? Like, of all the things John the Gospel writer could have told us, he decides to tell us about how the Pharisees react to it. And then Lazarus is only mentioned a couple times later when Mary anoints Jesus' feet and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. There's nothing about special plans Jesus has for Lazarus, nothing about future glory for Lazarus, nothing about the future at all. John only describes the new life Lazarus is living, and the only thing he has to say about Lazarus in this new life is that Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus. That's it. So think about that. Lazarus is raised from death, but not for some future glorious otherness. He's raised, graced with new life, to simply enjoy profound intimacy with Jesus. Sitting at the table with this word made flesh, with the light of all people, with God. And that is the point John's trying to make. That is John's picture of salvation. 
raised to new life, that's what salvation looks like. Reclining at table with Jesus in intimate connection with Jesus. That's consistent throughout all these signs in John's gospel. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have all received grace upon grace. Not to be with God someday in a distant, unfeeling way. No, now. Salvation is water turned to wine now. And not just a little bit of it, lots of it. Salvation is life in abundance now. Salvation is God engaging with an unnamed, five times married Samaritan woman with as much interest as he shows the most respected officials in the land. Salvation is seeing now, not later. We don't have to wait to be dead for our spiritual sight to kick in. Salvation is not being whisked away to some escaped planet where everything's always easy and hunky-dory. The raising of Lazarus shows salvation is simply reclining in the intimate company of God, who knows us, befriends us, protects us even from death, all so that we would be community with Jesus at our center. Intimate community with Jesus at our center. Being community with Jesus at the center is salvation because that kind of community welcomes all, serves others, lives differently than the world would suggest. So I know some of you were here yesterday, so I'm sorry to repeat myself, but I can't help but share one of the better examples of living a life of salvation now, not waiting for later. I can't think of a much better example than to point you all to the life of Helen Helverson. She died at 101 years of age, and every time she left this worship space, she'd look at me with her smiling eyes and say the same two words, peace, joy. Good to see you too, Helen. And I said at her funeral yesterday that Helen was content with God's will which is unusual to say the least, right? She was satisfied that God is God and she was not. And that's how she got through all the ups and downs of 74 years of marriage, raising kids, being a woman of her generation, through all that this world has been since 1921. And instead of complaining or becoming bitter or cynical, she would every week tell me where she was living what she was experiencing, with just two words, peace, joy. Helen lived a life of salvation long before her death because she received what Jesus gives, an intimate relationship with God. And it looks like reclining at table with him. That's why Jesus says to Martha, yeah, I am the resurrection and the life. Now watch this. And he raises Lazarus. Not so that Lazarus can make some extraordinary speech about how the next world or the next life is. Not so that Lazarus would become a, a new king of Israel or, or to, to do much of anything at all. Lazarus gets raised and all we know from there is that he reclines at table with his friend, the Word made flesh, Jesus. 
Salvation belongs to our God, and we are invited in to live in peace, joy. Thanks be to God. Amen.